2: talk about beer, and there would be few guests more qualified to talk about their experiences in the modern craft brewing industry than my guests this week. My first guest, Scott Player, gave my second guest, Steve Finney, his start in the beer industry, fresh out of high school as a craft beer specialist with a little brewery called Matilda Bay Brewery. Since then, their careers have been intertwined, as either or both of them have worked with CUB, Little Creatures, Feral Brewing, Gage Roads, and Other Side Brewing. With that track record, they've recently teamed up with another two colleagues that they met along the way and announced some long-harboured plans for Found Goods Co., a production brewery and brew pub in East Perth. While that's still a brewery in planning and going into execution, this is a great chat about the evolution of modern craft beer, how that has shaped the evolution of their plans for Found Goods Co., and how timing is everything in this industry. Enjoy this conversation. Steve Finney, Scott Player, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. G'day, mate. Thanks, Matt. No, I'm I'm amazed, Steve, particularly, that this is the first full Beer as a Conversation that we've had you on because you've cropped up here and there and you've all been someone that I've had a lot of conversations with. So I'm pleased that you're joining us. And uh, Scott, great to, uh, I think this is the first time we're meeting. It
1: is, mate. It is, yeah.
2: Which is amazing given the uh, length of time you've uh, spent in the industry. Now, I will start with... You know our, our standard question to you both and maybe uh with, with you scott you know tell us the scott player story
1: okay well it, it gets interesting of course once I, I got involved in the beer industry so we'll start there um having worked in in sales in in all these different areas um in in different fast-moving consumer goods i was lucky enough to to get employed with uh, matilda bay after cb had bought matilda bay it was like a trojan Horse strategy in that uh, at the time it was back in 1997, and the Swan Brewery absolutely dominated this state. And uh, if anything, CUB or Carlton was a dirty word in this state. So, um, so for for Carlton to even envisage that they could come over into this market and uh, and have a meaningful, um, I guess, input into to building a market here, uh, they devised the plan of, of buying Matilda Bay. Um, it was an aggressive takeover, and uh, in doing so, they could trade. And I caught the Trojan horse strategy. They could trade under the, the banner of Matilda Bay, which is a very welcome local name, built by you know, Phil Sexton and, and Trimbole and Howard at the fantastic guys that have done so much for this this craft beer industry, and trade under the Matilda Bay name and sell Matilda Bay products for a period of time and then and obviously start entering into the market with their own brands, you know, one being Carlton Midden. I was lucky enough to be part of uh, what was their Endeavour strategy, and that was about employing a whole heap of salespeople and uh, and and pushing these products out into the market. and And um, fell in love with the industry. Uh, fell in love with, I guess, what we'd inherited from the Matilda Bay uh, branding and and a beautiful site, the old Ford factory there overlooking the ocean. It was just one of the most amazing sort of places to work. and um, and it wasn't long into that that it was about 2003 I'd sort of gone up the ranks of managed teams and and, and, uh, and and gotten into the sales manager's roles. And Jamie Cook in 2003 had sold to the board of Fosters that their craft beer industry was going to explode in Australia, um, not dissimilar to what had happened in America. And uh, so we, we, got to, uh, we got to really play with the, the, the craft beer industry from the safe sanction of this huge uh, multinational in fosters, and start really pushing these brands and reinvigorating them into the market.
2: To give this a bit of time context, we're talking, you know, the late nineteen nineties, around about ninety seven, that CUB came in and bought Matilda Bay, wasn't it?
1: Correct. Yes. They launched Carl Mid in two thousand, so they they traded for three three years in this market where they were were only pushing Matilda Bay brands, and then. And then introduced Carlton Mid on the back of Matilda Bay Bitter was an established brand just for Western Australia, being such a strong mid-strength market. Still had some uh, craft credibility in the fact that it was um, a malted product, it was a little bit darker than, than most of your normal mid-strength lagers and that sort of thing. So so they basically established a platform to be able to introduce um, the Carlton products into the market and, uh, and over time became market leader around about 2007. So it was a, a very clever strategy. And not
2: long after you started with Matilda Bay, you uh, found a young bloke to uh, possibly come on and become a sales rep for you.
1: Yeah, a, a very young-faced um, upstart by the name of uh, Stephen Finney. Um, <laughs> so I met I met Steve. I met Steve, and I was employing for a role as a um, I think it was a merchandiser originally, wasn't it? It was a yeah. merchandiser, yeah. come straight sales rep, which then became. An on-premise um, uh, specialist to help really infiltrate what was, you know, an emerging small bar scene and that sort of thing. So someone could really understand that, that market. And ironically, I didn't think I'd keep him for that long because he had aspirations to own his own small bar, I think, back then. Um, and when I when I met this, this young bloke and I, I compared him at 19 to what I was like at 19, I thought, crikey, this guy has really got his faculties together. Not only is he a very intelligent guy, but he's driven. Seems to know what he wants and how to feel. So oh, this guy could carry. Steve me shaking out of his head,
2: uh, not nodding his head. I, should, I have to say.
1: So yeah, so I, I, I got to take this guy on board and uh, and uh, I guess took him under my wing and. And um, he proved me right in every aspect of of what I thought uh, he could do, and um, and as a result, took him to every other role I think I had in some way, shape or form. So,
2: Steve, you wanted to own your own bar. How, how did you come to be selling beer for uh, CUB Matilda Bay in those days?
0: Um, so, probably I'd just left school and and sort of had no idea what I, I really wanted to do. Um, I'm I'm no good at uh, studying. I'm a bit of a um, a square peg in a round holes, so. I started working just in a, a little local pub um, and bottle shop and, and so ended up managing that within a couple of years. Yeah, from there, I was sort of, uh, I guess, you know, I, 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 you know, I'd seen what the sales reps and what the merchandisers were doing at the time and, and traveling around uh, and just decided that, you know, that was probably a path that I was gonna going to take.
2: And what was it like coming into the industry? Because again, you know, when I left school and the last place that I should have been working was the beer industry, because I certainly didn't have an appreciation (laughs) of of, of the product uh, uh, other than one dimension. Um, So
0: back then, I mean, I was really just paying for myself to be able to surf all day um, and then do a little bit of work at night. You know, I was a young guy. It was a a pretty good balance. Uh, Surf all day, work during the night. And yeah, from there I guess, you know, I kind of got a thirst to just to, to want to do something a bit different uh within the industry, uh, which, you know, ultimately started with, you know, becoming a sales rep, becoming a sales manager, wanted to open my own pub, um, which then evolved over time into, you know, wanting to open my own brewery, uh, which has now evolved into a fairly sizable brewery and pub.
2: <laughs> so so you got there in the end? Got but there. Uh, in you- the end. You've had a couple of detours on the way to so tell me a little bit about Matilda Bay is one of those brands that fascinates me. It was my introduction to the craft beer world in, it would have been 89. So it was 88, 89, just after Brisbane had Expo 88, Matilda Bay Redback. It was one of the first craft beers that was going national. And it really showed me how different beer could be an Australian craft beer could be and so roll around 10 years later to to the late 90s when CuB came to um, take it over it, it, it was a brand that I don't think ever lived up to Jamie's uh, promise or it had it had a couple of starts and misfires uh, Scott would you how would you categorize it? it it always broke my heart I'll put it that way
1: yeah well look you're right I mean uh, what they start with what 83 84 from memory it's, it's the reason why I think craft beer and I know little creatures absolutely gave it the springing relaunch in, in 2000 yep. and, and gets accredited for the craft beer revolution that we've experienced but it really it started the rebirth started with uh, Matilda Bay back in Frio in in 84 I think it wasn't and, um, and and it was all about really pushing the envelope and, and pushing the barriers of what people uh, were willing to palate in terms of what they considered beer and and as a result, Western Australia still overtrades uh, in terms of share of, of beer market, share of the beer throat uh, in craft beer, the rest of the, the country. not a lot. There's not a lot that happens in Western Australia that, that we outperform the rest of the country, but that is definitely one. And and it's simply because, you know, I was showing my vintage when I was 19 doing a, a, a pub crawl through Frio, um, you know, we would enjoy a redback. We would enjoy a dog border, mm. a brass monkey stout, these sorts of products. And... So there was this acceptance of um, a a, a taste variation in terms of what you class as beer. And, of course, the Trojan horse uh, element that I spoke about earlier, whereby CUB used Matilda Bay as as a stepping stone to get into this market, almost once it had served its purpose, you're 100% right – um, the focus on the craft beer element the challenging the status quo went out the window and it wasn't until 2003 when Jamie Cook resold to the business mm. that hey you're really missing something here that this is going to all happen around you and you've got the most valuable brand to be able to exploit uh, this consumer exploration of craft beer that it was reborn within and um and you could argue it never ever reached the lofty heights of when they first bought the business, but what it did was it, it I guess it it put some money and some marketing behind thrusting craft beer f- further in terms of a share mm. of the overall beer market.
0: And and funnily enough, I can actually, I, I guess from a from a um, you know being a lot younger than, than Scotty and being new within to the ind- into the industry at the time, I mean my first real job was I guess within that rebirth of Matilda Bay. Um, so I've kind of got a bit of a different view on that where, you know, it was the launch of Fat Yak at the time, which, Mm. you know, I guess has gone off on a a different tangent over the last few years, but, you know, there was, there was some great energy around the launch of that product and, and there was some excitement and, you know, and I'm I'm sure they'll be able to bring it back, um, again under, I guess what, you know, Phil's trying to do out of, Mm. um, out of Melbourne, uh, it'd be interesting to see how that goes, um, but, you know, ultimately, there's there's a lot that can be attributed to, you know, even even at that later stage, what, you know, Scott and and Jamie and Brad and Ross uh, were able to achieve.
2: And, and it's funny, I, I don't mean my, you know, it broke my heart as a brand to land on the people um, because there were some amazing people who, you know, have been champions of the industry since then, you know, through their passion. I guess I always looked at it you know the the big corporate entity that ran it seemed to have be a bit of a heavy hand on the passion of some of the people that were at ground level again and challenge me on 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 that because there were guys like you involved in the business but there just seemed to be something institutionally with CUB that they were never able to really let it take off. I think
0: there was a lot that was also ahead of its time. Um, Absolutely. You know, even, even in the early 2000s. So if you're to look back and look at, you know, some of the limited releases that were coming out of Matilda Bay at the time and out of the garage, you know, you're looking at sort of like your Barking Ducks, which was a you know, Australian Spice Saison, which is still, you know, for me, one of my favourite beers of all time. Uh, you had Greyston, which was actually a um, named after Scotty's son, you know, and, and that was a you know a bit of a blend between a, a dog bolter and a, a, a dunkel. Uh, you had Cremer, which was a you know a coffee infused uh, pale ale. Uh, Brad also had a Brad, Jeremy, and Neil had a whole whole room stacked to the rafters with you know barrel aged beers that I don't think ever got to see the light of the day. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, there was a a lot of forward thinking there. And, you know, a lot of what we are just seeing in sort of the market now, especially in the experimental side and more farmhouse and sour styles, uh, that was being done by these guys, you know, in the early 2000s. And
2: they were the beers, again, they were the beers that fired my interest when I was very new into beer writing and I wrote a lot about them. And was it just timing or, you know, I I, I don't know that as an outsider, I always saw CUB as being a business that was great with big brands, but felt that Lion sometimes was better at incubating some of those brands. And, you know, Fat Yak was a great example. Once it, it was the right beer with the right brand at the right time that they got those, you know, the lightning in the bottle scenario where they got, everything right at the right time and it took off and then they knew how to do it but they didn't know how to cultivate some of the smaller brands and sometimes I felt they killed their children a little bit too early um, yeah. if they'd held on a little bit longer
0: Probably can't comment on any more of that
1: Maddie <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's no PTSD about some of the decisions that you had to swallow
1: I look at the end of the day the reality is is it, is a it, is it big corporations can't help yeah. themselves the, the, the more the more layers there are to your business then the more regulated you have to be the more parameters you have to set and i think one of the the things about craft beer is is that 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 customised, that very personal, that very passion-driven approach, Mm. Um, the ability to be able to partner with your customers, to to be able to identify where your brand-in-hand opportunities are as opposed to just tying things to tap agreements, et cetera, et cetera. So so I think there's a different way of thinking, and I don't think – and, and we've seen it over the years in terms of acquisitions, that the big corporate companies can't help but meddle. I think I've heard it a few times. I've been a part of it a few times, and I remember the standard line was, don't worry, nothing's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't for about three months. And then, uh, and then of course, and then, of course, um, you know the big business needs to be able to to, to, to um, rein everyone in and keep everything under control. And then it loses that that edginess that craft beer and the small craft beer breweries have in terms of their ability to be able to go to market and, and stay very uh, very customized to what their customers and their consumers needs are.
2: In career advancement in big companies, people don't stay in jobs for for particularly long, and no new marketing manager or brand manager is paid to come in and. Do what his predecessor did. So there's always the need to to tinker, um, <laughs> w- w- which is sometimes the problem.
0: Oh, I don't. I don't think it, matter, it matters what scale that's on, Maddie. I think, uh, <laughs> <ultimately>, <laughs> whenever uh, someone new comes in, there's always something to tinker with. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, okay. Let, let's move on from that because Steve, you did move on, and uh, you you did a stint at Little Creatures before you went to another little. Um, WA Brewery called Ferrell. Do you want to talk us about your career progress from Cub through Lion and uh, onto on Ferrell?
0: Yeah, so um, I guess I guess um, I guess working from Matilda to Bay um, at the time, I'd, I'd sort of really gathered this thirst for uh, the craft beer industry, and and really it opened my eyes to what you know what beer could be, um, and you know the different ways at the time you could go about selling it. Um, so. Pretty much, um, you know, as we move along, Scotty, Scotty took a role um, as the National Sales Manager for Little Creatures. What year was that, Scotty? Uh, 2010. 2010. So uh, pretty soon after, I think it was within three months, I was walking around the CUB office with a massive target on my head. I think everybody was just waiting for the day for me <laughs> to resign and, and move across with Scotty. Um, unfortunately, things aren't always that easy. Uh, so yeah, ended up across at Little Creatures for a couple of years, and you know, I I really I, I really found I think myself at Little Creatures. Um, Little Creatures just has this, uh, you know, this fantastic culture of letting people be who they are, whilst also you know providing sort of a nurturing environment for you to you know really excel and and you know challenge, like how you go about doing things. Um, and for me, that was um, you know that was a really. Really, really good time uh, with the sale of little creatures to line, I knew one thing for sure, and that was that I didn't want to stick around you know to go back under uh you know one of the major brewers so I think I was a very very first sales rep to jump ship at that stage and you now i I'd, I'd always uh, had a very close relationship with both Brendan and will out at Feral. Um, every time I was out in the Swan valley, which is you know, sort of a, an hour away from my house, which has, you know, always been close to Fremantle, um, you always go out and catch up with a beer and, and see what wild, wacky, crazy new double IPA or red IPA or Fanta Pants or sour was, was on tap. Um, and just through that conversation, uh, obviously knew that Brendan was, was opening up the, the new and Dean brew Brewhouse, um, and pretty much had absolute no idea on how to actually sell whatever beer that he was producing. So uh, I guess I moved across there. I think fell in 2012, which was with the um, yeah the opening of the Bassendine Brewery. Um, and again, really great time. You know, started as sort of a sales rep and and I learned pretty much every part of the business that you know was I guess an operational production brewery, a brew pub, sales, marketing many trades
2: and you built it uh, again it was there was a and timing i think is going to crop up a number of times during this podcast because feral was a, a brand that was at the right time and you joined it at the right time and really were on the way to taking it as a national beer brand
0: yeah very much so i mean feral feral back in those days was was very much built on feral white uh mm. which was a, a belgium style wheat beer and and ultimately, it was that beer that, that, you know, built the the new production brewery at the time. It was also a beer that was very much going out of trend at that exact moment. Um, and, you know, another thing
2: beer, that breaks my heart.
0: <laughs> and, and wheat beers always had a, um, you know, a good sense of place in WA, you know, looking back at that redback, looking back at, you know, feral white. Um, they were two wheat beers that really did pave the way within that, you know, that style. And, you know very well accepted here, but you know I think it's you know, a wheat beer drink is a little bit like a Guinness or a Kilkenny drinker that you know that <laughs> the pub sells two kegs a week of Guinness every week. Uh, that's all they do. There's <laughs> Never any new drinkers that come into the category. It's just, it is what it is. Um, so really, it was then about um, you know identifying hop hog as a as a product as what it was. It obviously um, it won a lot of awards, uh, you know, up into the lead up to the opening of the new brewery. But again, it was a little bit, uh, probably at the time, still a bit aggressive. It's still, you know, it was a much bigger um, pale ale or IPA than. You
2: know, <laughs> I was going to ask where 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 do you come down on the line? What is it, or does it does does it have a foot in both camps?
0: <laughs> uh, well. It's a funny one. So I guess you know I was I was in charge of, of you know the the branding and the rebranding and there's actually a pretty funny story around this and and you know I guess when when Hopog was first launched into the market it, it really was a you know far more aggressively dry hopped um, American pale than you know the little creatures that that yep. W A had had you know grown to know. So, you know, I think at that stage, it actually was 5.6%. And, you know, I guess being that heavily hopped pale, it, it, it got called an IPA. Um, and, you know, at that stage, there wasn't a huge range of American-style IPAs in the market, which, which is crazy. We're only talking, you know, 2010 to 2012. So basically it was it was called an IPA um, and I guess as the as a category sort of exploded and and more and more beers became available at higher ABVs and bigger hopping rates, the beer itself in hop hog didn't change, but I sort of felt that the stylistic name of it being called an IPA had sort of fallen out a little bit so um, we devised a little bit of a plan in house and and that was that you know within the rebrand which You know, the Feral rebrand was, it was really about using what you had in a pencil case. Um, You know, it was a blue pen, black pen, red pen, blue stick, pair of scissors. Um, (laughs) You know, so part of the idea was that, you know, the India on on the label would sort of make it look like someone had striped it out with a pen. And that was sort of like a, a little way to, you know, just calling it a pale ale, which would then open up and pave the way for us to be able to put a proper... IPA out in the market, which was Warhog. So anyway, we, uh, we decided that that beer and when we produced the, the next batches for the next six months, we actually increased the dry hopping rate, increased the bitterness, just so that, you know, when it went out into the market, people would be like, oh, they, you know, they, it, it's now a pale ale, they've dumbed it down, they're, you know, cutting costs, they're saving money, they're not doing this and not doing that. We decided that we'd deliver the best hop-hog that anyone would ever have. Um, funnily enough, the market still said that we'd dumbed it down. They said that uh, <laughs> you know, it was no longer an IPA, so I didn't taste the same, uh, and that the recipe had totally changed. Uh, so it's rather, <laughs> ir- rather ironic, and I don't think we could have won.
2: But how frustrating is it you know, when perception is such an important part of our experience of flavour? Um, which is you know the blind judging, judging that takes place in beer competitions is for a very good reason. How frustrating is it when people impute bad decisions when none have been made and it's really just them? How 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 hard is it from a business perspective to to manage that?
0: Well, I think like I think any business should and needs to evolve. And you know if you have a product that that may have been boundary pushing at one time and and named a certain thing at the time because it, it may have better fallen into, you know, what a consumer might have perceived as a, you know, that style. Um, you know, I think it's just a, it's just an evolution and, you know, ultimately if, if your business isn't ever evolving or isn't always looking forward, um, you're probably doing something wrong and that, that can mean that over time products do evolve.
1: A great example of that is when uh, Lion did uh, buy out little creatures, I think, uh, it would have been about uh, three months later, because I, I, I hung around for, I think, a six-month contract to help with the transition, and and we were getting all sorts of social media around the fact that um, the parallel just wasn't the same, we had exactly the same <laughs> brewers, it was exactly the same uh, brewing equipment and everything, so... You know, that was, and to your point, that was an absolute perception that that they, that they the consumer was, was certain that the beer was going to change, so they were going to convince themselves of that no matter what.
2: And it still is. It's it's one of those ones that, again, I bump into beer drinkers when I'm doing tastings and they tell me that it's changed and, you know... <laughs> it's one of those things it's very hard to get on the record but you hear over and over and over again from people who you know are telling you the truth that you know it's still unpasteurized you know no beer can stay the same because it's it does still uh, have the seasonality of ingredients and um, ingredients you know bills change but it, there's a vast difference between the seasons changing and the ingredients having to change a little bit and a beer being dumbed down so
0: you can make spaghetti bolognese once a week but it's, it's probably going to be slightly different every time <laughs>
2: Yeah, we're with the same expense of ingredients. And uh, actually, there was a really great um, quote we're going to put up from a a recent Beer as a Conversation by the time this one goes up, where Harry Sexton talked about the difference between winemakers and brewers. and talking about how winemakers really need to get out of the way of the good fruit that you know basically nurture it into its best possible expression whereas brewers have so many more touch points because you don't just say well this was a great season for barley or this was a great season for hops so the beer is good this year they actually have to be much more hands-on to create the product that they envisaged with their recipe yep yep you both crossed paths uh, a little bit because you've, uh, you know, CUB, Little Creatures. You've both... Um, Scott, you didn't work at Feral, um, but you both met up again, did you, at Gage Roads?
1: Yeah. Well, look, and... I forgot to mention that uh, with the feral job, he, he actually came and saw me about it, and uh, Brendan had spoken to him and, and 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 came to me and said, you know, um, what do you think of this as an opportunity? So, because because I'd actually gone to um, uh, Creatures in in um, 2010, I'd gone from the Matilda Bay role and had been, let's just say, there were some opportunities within the business, and I was um, I was encouraged to um, to take those opportunities in the broader fosters business. And once I've got a bit of a, a, a taste for the um, Uh, the craft beer industry and seeing the passion of the brewers. I'll never forget a Young and Jackson's dinner we did where there was a a heap of brewers and they all brought their favorite beer along. And and I think Brad Rogers had a, a, I think it was a a Swan Stout and he'd also brought this masthead quadruple bloody bottle fermented thing. And it was, and I'm just listening to these guys talk and and just thinking, how wonderful is it to see people so immersed in what they do and so passionate? And I was sold from that moment on. And that was early on in, in joining with Matilda Bay. So the idea of going back into the the, the normal corporate uh, fold and, and and sort of ticking the boxes just wasn't for me. I got an opportunity to um, to interview for um, uh, Little Creatures and, and met Ross Sedano. And, uh, and the interview went along the lines of AI. Hey, I had a suit on and, and he said I should take the tie off straight away. <laughs> and then we, we we spent the next hour and a half strategizing about where creatures should go, um, and, you know, all the things they were doing really well, which was a lot, but how they could actually improve their performance. And and I got the job and came into the the business and and uh, and there was just some little tweaking that they needed to really launch them again back in the home state. They were doing reasonably well on the east coast, um, and uh, and one of the things was that they didn't have any presence in on in the on-premise market, an emerging small bar market. So I saw a fantastic opportunity to bring a, a really good person into the business, and that was Steve. So he's just made for this. Like he's, He lives in these small bars. He absolutely lives and breathes it. He's got some really good relationships there, and he knows how to not hard sell these guys. It's the last thing they need. They just need someone that's going to understand their business and help them grow it. So we uh, brought Steve in um, to do that side of it. And then um, I think it was two years later, mate, that you got this opportunity at, at Ferrell. And the relationship that we had is that um, he knew that I wouldn't um, uh, balk at supporting him if it was the right thing for him. And, and naturally, it was a fantastic opportunity. So I so, uh, helped him in terms of negotiating his contract. Yeah. And then... Um, <laughs> very, as, as you very,
0: do. Very helpful there. <laughs> Cost him in the long run. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I had to, Paying the same when I got him back. <laughs> so, yeah, it bit me badly. But, but, um, but, yeah, then there's an opportunity at Gage Roads when I moved to um, Gage. Obviously, after the sale of, of, um, of Creatures, uh, for me, I, I stepped into um, Matzo's family-owned business that was operating out of Broome, and they actually contract brewed out of Gage Roads because they only had a very small, very arcade brewery up in the, uh, the restaurant up in Broome. Um, so I'd actually built a relationship with uh, John Hodemaker and, and uh, Aaron Heary and the crew at um, at uh, Gauge Roads, great guys, and and, um, and and had a working relationship with them. And I decided that I I'd, I'd, I just needed to take some time out and and maybe reevaluate where I was at, and uh, and left Matzos. And uh, John Hodemaker got wind of it naturally and uh, phoned me up and said, "Hey mate, we've uh, got an opportunity with Woolworths wanting to um, wanting to exit the." the register in terms of the uh, shares mm. um, and that gives us an opportunity to enter back into the independent landscape and um, and we're looking for someone to write us a strategy, uh, returning to craft and, um, and we reckon you're the man. So, went in, six-month contract, um, the board weren't as convinced as, as John in the early days, so I needed to prove myself for six months with them, which I did and, uh, and then ended up working for them, I think, for three years and uh, then, yeah, decided that um, – that I actually invested in, in Gage Roads uh, with the capital raise. I was that confident in in the strategy. Um, and there was a point there where I, I just had too much on my plate. I needed someone to just manage uh, WA, SA and NT. And guess what? I knew someone. I knew a guy that I knew would probably cost me, but I knew he's worth it and um, and got Steve in to to help us to, to really cement single fin in this in this state and, and, and give us a traction in the traction we
0: need. yeah and it's probably important around that time as well was was very much when the you know i guess we're a very small team at feral building a national brand there was a, a hell of a lot of uh, travel around the country at the time a lot of beer festivals there seemed to be a, you know a new beer week in every regional town popping up around australia that you know it's it, it sounds like it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of fun for a long time but it it got very tiring i guess um in the long run and there was also the the i guess the pending sale to to coca-cola at the time and you know back to that mantra that i'm I'm not going back to working for the man um and you know i don't want to work again for a you know a, a you know bigger more corporate business um it's basically when i you know scott back got back in contact with me to sort of see whether i was interested in taking a, a role at gauge for a little while
1: you've got to have that radar matt when you know that maybe there's an opportunity to get a really good person and you just feel as though they might be tinkering and there's
2: not- <laughs> i mean as I, as I look at the clock i'm realizing that we could probably dig very deeply into a lot about the returning to craft strategy and some of the and the rest of your career but Having established your backgrounds um, in in the industry and having watched um, Scott, as you said, you know Matilda Bay doesn't sometimes get the credit that Little Creatures does for the rise of the modern craft beer movement. So two thousand is you know when I really look at the modern craft beer movement taking on, and you've both been very deeply embedded in that, and you've seen a, a a huge change as the market has grown and matured and. The product arc has occurred. You've decided to open your own brewery now in an industry that is much more mature, much more crowded. Um, tell us a little bit about what your plans are for found now found Goods Co. Um, tell us a little bit about found and what your plans are.
0: Yeah so um, so found um, as a business idea started working on back in 2015, uh, which was actually back when I was at Feral um, and and Brendan at the time was fully aware that I was, I was you know spending a little bit of time plugging away on the business plan in the back you know in the back of the office, uh, and and from there you know I sort of dedicated almost an hour every day of the week uh, for nearly seven years um, in building this sort of business model and a business plan, um, and and really just looking for the right time to sort of execute it and. I guess along the way, so same as same as Scotty sort of you know has, has brought me along um, for a lot of his career and a lot of you know all of my career, um, you know also built different relationships out you know through the different places that we've worked. So, sort of um, you know Will and I, uh, Will XFL Brewing, um, you know we'd been speaking for a long time about potentially doing a little brewery or. You know, having some sort of little project underway, we didn't really know what that would look like, or you know, whether it would ever come to fruition. And it was probably, oh, probably you know, during the the first COVID lockdown over here in WA, where I sort of really decided that that enough was enough, and it was time to really you know start plugging and spending more time on this business plan and and really getting it um, to market. So. You know, I guess in conversations with Will, I'd also been, funnily enough, soft selling Scotty on on the idea of this business for under the guy um,
1: under the guise I might add of look uh, as a, as a great business mentor to me over the years. Can I just run this this, <laughs> this financial plan, this, this 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 strategic plan past you? In the meanwhile. Uh, romancing me with it, and, and fair to say, I, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea and fell in love with the whole thing, so um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, very nice at the soft sell, this guy. <laughs> and, and then on top
0: of that, we've, we've also got Natalie, who, um, who, who was, was working with us at Ferrell, she was working within the function side and the hospitality side of the business. Uh, she'd become my uh, marketing manager uh, for a couple of years. And then uh, after um, the CCA so she moved on to uh, open up Whitford's Brewing company here from a hospitality perspective um, and also like now just works out of Northbridge Brewing in the city mm-hmm. um, so that kind of sort of you know it was all about establishing a team that was going to I guess really excel and be able to look after the part of the business that you know they look after so, you know, look after Will can look after production, um, and brewing side of the business. Got Natalie who heads up the hospitality. Scotty who looks up after sales and and consumer marketing, and then myself with brand and, and also the operational
1: side of things and joining the dots.
2: I think the crafty pint described it as a super group.
1: Oh, well, not- that was very flattering, by the way. That was <laughs> uh, extremely flattering, and um, appreciate it. <laughs> but look, look, we're we're happy with the the I guess how we can bounce off each other. And, I mean, I guess if you look at the success of Matilda Bay and, and also Creatures and you look at the guys behind that, you know, you had your, your, your super brewery, you had your finance guys, also a hospitality guy, and mm. you've got a marketing guru um, that, you know, you know, I think you've even lent on Howard a bit in, in recent time, well, not recent, but the last few years in terms of running ideas and that past him. I think if you get the right people that can work well together and then coupled with that, one of our point of differences is very difficult, and this, as you mentioned, a very crowded market. I, th- I think one of the point of differences you can have as a business is the culture of the people within that business. Um, you know, One of the things Steve mentioned about the or- entrepreneurial nature of little creatures, everyone that worked for that business felt that like their the entrepreneur within them was stirred up by the culture of that business. It allowed you to think it a little bit differently and challenge the status quo. and and, uh, and we are all of the same thought process that we want to be really inclusive with all the people we bring into this business that works with this business. We want them to feel very much a part of it and invested. Um, and we want to drive a culture where everyone has a voice and that we are constantly challenging the status quo and we are constantly getting better to drive a better experience and a better product for the, for the market.
2: So tell us a little bit about the brewery itself or the, the the business itself. What part of the market are you going for? Are you going pointy end? Are you going mainstream? You know, what what is the standout feature, the universal the what is it, the unique selling proposition for found in a very crowded market?
0: Yeah, so for those that um you know, obviously it's a, a fairly new project, but we've we've managed to pick up a site um in East Perth and the site itself is you know it's sort of a, a once in a lifetime opportunity location uh, we are right in the middle of the city and we're we're housed within a, a an old school the old girls school which was built in the late 1920s so it's this this massive institutional limestone building on top of the you know on top of the hill in Perth city it's very close to sort of the Wacker and Optus stadium um, we've got some fantastic site owners, um, you know, that have really helped us along the way. Uh, and I guess part of that, we, we are, you know, going to build a production like craft brewery on site. So, you know, we're, we're not looking at just being a little, a little brew pub as such. So we do have those, you know, those commercial ambitions and we do have the the space and the layout to be able to do that. You know, we we do want to be a proudly West Australian business. So, you know, we will be focusing in our own backyard, number one. Um, But also part of that site is close to a thousand person tavern license as well. And Mm -hmm. being close to the stadium and, you know, also that part of the city. You know, ultimately, we want to be the best regional brewery in the middle of town. And to be that, we need to be able to provide a number of things so that includes sort of a a nice area for you know the kids can play and feel safe um a whole heap of different hospitality offerings within that space but what that also means is that we will have a fairly wide range of beers available and what that looks like yet we don't exactly know we've we've got some ideas um you know at the end of the day will's will's you know got a whole bunch of recipes in the back of his mind that he'd like to um you know like to do for himself um, and then, you know, ultimately we've, we've got to make sure that we, we do have products available for the full market. Now, will that mean that we'll have a huge range of products available in the wholesale market? Probably not. No. We are going to tr- drive a very uh, focused approach t- to that sales um, and, and make sure that we really drive the message that, you know, that, you know who, who we are and what we are and what we want to be
1: through you know, a, a limited wholesale range. So probably sorry to answer your question around the the, the pointy, whether you're pointy or with your mainstream, the, the the venue itself is going to need to cater for everybody. So you can take your dad on Father's Day, <laughs> who normally enjoys uh, you know his Carlton Draft or something, and but you love your your double hazy IPA, well that's fine. Yeah, you know, you, we're going to have the range for everybody in terms of retail land, in terms of walking into a liquor store and looking where what Found has to offer, then. I guess the, the layman's term is it'll be the pointy end. Uh, it'll be yep. something which is really craft. Our seasonal uh, range will be something that really pushes the envelope a little bit avant-garde guard about where the craft beer market's going. And, yeah, we've got a brewer that we know um, has all the ability in the world to really put some stuff out there that is uh, is going to really turn some heads and, and, and make it pretty exciting.
2: Have you stepped back, Steve? It sounds like this has been going for a while. Have you stepped back and looked – and revised your plans for what this is based on this venue and based on the changing markets? You know, it, 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 have you been fluid?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, things have evolved a lot over, you know, over the last seven years. But, you know, to be honest, you know, we've always always worked at sort of the forefront of, you know, the, the craft brewing industry and, and the products that, you know, we've done well with have always been at the forefront, if not in front of the, the rest of the industry. So... Yes, things have evolved and, and again they'll probably evolve by the time we open up. So, you know, again, we we don't know exactly what our range might look like or what, you know, what styles we may have because ultimately, you know, if you were to ask most breweries they'd probably say they're gonna do a really good hazy IPA right now. But, you know, who knows, you know, how, how long and, and you know, trends do change and and taste change. So we'll see, we'll see where we end up. And we've got to keep some sort of, you know, some secrets. Fair enough. We are very lucky in WA. Um, you know, ultimately, we're in this, you know, we're talking about craft beer market. You know, we do have these products where, you know, if you go back to Matilda Bay, they were, you know, it was, it was 1984 when Matilda Bay was released. Little Creatures was released in 2000. You got a whole bunch mm. of other breweries which came along the way. And now you've got Gage Roads, which. You know, ultimately is you know, going into the mouths of sixty thousand sports fans a week, um, mm. and and what that is doing to the WA market as a whole is just absolutely fantastic for craft beer as a whole in WA. Because you know, ultimately, when single fin becomes a you know a mainstream go to product for you know a, a mainstream consumer. Ultimately, that's opening up the marketplace much more for all the other craft producers out there.
2: We've talked about, you know, we, we've used the phrase craft beer these days that I think, you know, if you do go back to when you both started your careers, craft meant something. Um, and, and, you know, if you brought out an adjunct lager or a rice lager or something like that 15 years ago, you just would have been, uh, you know, laughed at. But the, the industry and has, has, has changed drastically. Is there still a role for the term craft beer do you think
0: um i think that there is still a role there um i mean we like to sort of talk about ourselves as being a regional brewer rather than a craft brewer um you know even though i've probably said craft in the last you know 15 centers 15 times um but ultimately you know good beer is good beer and you know whether it's it's mainstream or what you perceive as craft i mean there's a there's a time and place for all of those products out there. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're sitting watching the footy with a group of boys, you know, or girls having a having a lager, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's, it's about time and place. Um, you're probably not going to go to a, you know, go watch the footy and have 15, 10 cent double IPAs. Mm. I think the word craft is still relevant in a way. Uh, do we usually talk about ourselves as craft brewers, we, we, we're usually in-house, we like to talk to ourselves about regional brewers,
2: and, and that's what what I guess I was coming to, because when what we now see as the modern craft brewing industry started, it was a reaction against mainstream, but we're now starting to see an industry that's trying to find a way to define itself, and if not the industry, individual breweries, and being local um Seems to be much more important than what, because you can't really define what craft is anymore for for, for the reasons I gave. A lot of the things that were absolute no nos um, when you guys were starting your career in the craft space are suddenly the um trend, you know, trend of the day. But it does feel much more important to be seen as local um, somehow. And is is that where Found is positioning itself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the frustrations, Matt, you know, in, in working for um, you know, the businesses I have over the years is, is this automatic uh, thought process that you, you, if you go to eastern states, you go to the populous cities like Sydney and that, then, then instantly you're going to be successful. We look at the West Australian market and and the, the, the beer consumption in this market and the propensity for people to be open to um, more flavour profiles than potentially other states. To be able to control the quality of your product in a smaller environment to be able to service customers in a way, to be able to support your community uh, in a better way rather than spreading yourself so thin by trying to spread yourself out over the whole country. It just makes absolute no sense. So for us, it's very important to be like micro-community. So when we, we open up in East Perth, we want to be very immersed in in, in the, the community that's that's directly around us and then obviously grow our business broader within the West Australian market and do beer styles and and – and things that are going to fit the lifestyle of, of West Australians, things that, that will resonate with West Australians. And suddenly then your strategy becomes a little bit more succinct and you start uh, meaning something a little bit clearer to your consumers um, and you can actually add more value to your customers. So, so for us, that's a clear direction.
2: So where does the name come in then, Found?
0: So I guess found found is, is we've found our place. Um, the four of us have, have worked across the industry, um, and and really we you know this is this is for us at last. Um, so you know we've found our place. Other than that, I guess you know a, b- a big part of found is is discovery. Um, you know we're in this this fantastic lo- t- location in the middle of the city. It's the the least likely place you'd ever want to you'd ever expect to find a brewery, um, and you know with that with dis- with finding something or with that discovery, you know it becomes a bit of sense of ownership, and you know you can you can find a, a track down to the beach with a perfect uh, beach break at the end, or you can go out in a boat and find a, a fishing ledge that you know you think no one else knows about, or you know you can find your local ca- a local cafe hidden in the back streets that. You know you don't you might not know it's there. Um, you know and and through that discovery, you've then you've got a sense of ownership over that place as a consumer. and and that's that's really important for us.
2: So the big question, when will we be able to try found beers?
0: So we'll probably look at brewing a little bit of beer um, over the next six to twelve months. You know I guess a perfect picture is we'd love to launch both the brewery and the hospitality side at the same time. You know, given the current building industry, we don't really know what, you know, our timeframes really look like from on the macro level. Um, so rather than sit on our hands, we'll, we'll probably get a little bit of beer out there, um, make sure that wheels on the, on the tools um, and, and staying sharp. Um, <laughs> and, you know, hopefully, hopefully within the next yeah, six, six, nine months, should see a little bit of fi- beer filtering around WA.
2: It is a tough time to be building a brewery of any, any brewery, but of any scale, I'd imagine. It, you know, has, have your plans been delayed by COVID and now the supply issues?
1: Been lucky so far. I mean, the DA approvals uh, all through um, and, uh, you know, plans have gone to uh, spec at the moment, but, as as steve said the building industry is a little bit of an unknown at the moment so so we're staying open minded in terms of time frames um, so yes, uh, hopefully, perfect world things go go to plan, and um, yeah, you know, be the end of next year. But uh, as we know, the building industry is a little bit, a little bit sketchy at the moment, and there's delays even to people building their houses. So we're you know, we're staying open minded to that that time frame. And part of the plan, so part of the plans on site is is
0: we are building a whole new building out the front of a heritage building. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a there's obviously been a lot of hurdles to jump over to, to get those plans through. Heritage, state government, and local council, Um, and you know that's that's a I think it's it's about a 900 square meter production space. Uh, There's also a new kitchen within that build, and then currently, what is a new an old car park out the front of the girls' school is going to get converted into a an 800 square meter native parklands, which will all be within our red line sort of area, and then we've got a main bar going inside the old building, so. The project itself is as you know it has grown and it's morphed and it's uh, been you know it's almost become far bigger than what we ever initially expected it to do within our first build um, and you know ultimately good things take time but you know we're going to keep ourselves busy and keep plugging away
1: uh, the, the original plan was a character warehouse for the producer's uh, license in terms of having a very small hospitality which is Almost basically a tap room, right? And um, and just through discussions, through people we knew, through a, through an investor that was interested, we got connected with this actual project, and just couldn't believe what a what a fantastic opportunity uh, this could be, and and to 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 have the opportunity to be in such an iconic building and uh, and get the support of uh, such a fantastic developer has just been amazing. It's almost just fast tractors, you know, years ahead of where we thought we were going to be. So um yeah, it's 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 really exciting. Uh but it's now just all is the bigger scale. Everything's the bigger scale. And, and I guess we just have to um, have to just keep uh, pushing forward with it.
2: Well, looking at the time, we might have to leave it there and keep a close eye on how things are going. But uh, look, Steve Finney, Scott Plant, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation about your careers in beer and about the beers that you uh, plan to be making in the future. And we look forward to watching as found comes to find its feet.
1: thanks mate appreciate the interest thank you
2: and that was scott player and steve finney if you're a listener don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet the radio brews news facebook group to join our facebook group just search for radio brews news and use the password soapbox if you like what we do here at radio brews news you can help us out by sponsoring the show maybe give us a couple of dollars each month just to show your appreciation or you can review us on apple podcasts or your favorite podcasting service that really does help us to come to the attention of other people who might enjoy us as much as you do you can also email us at producer at bruisenews.com.au to share your thoughts and potential guests for upcoming shows